Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right. Welcome, welcome. Glad you could be here with us this morning. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Robert Frazier, and I'm one of the elders here, and um, I lead the teaching team, and we put together Sunday morning. So thank you for being here. Um, if this is your first time here, it's actually like kind of a perfect weekend to be here, uh, mostly because we're going to spend some time talking about who we are, why we're here, what's next for us. Um, the way that I would describe it, so we, are, we, we had our six-year anniversary a couple weeks ago, which, you know, that's, that's something to celebrate. We can whoop, you know, like give a little whoop. Like it, it, it happened. Everybody showed up. We're still here. Um, every, every week I, I come to Sunday morning, I'm like, they still keep showing up. Look at this. Like these people, you know, they, there's something happening here. God's been up to things over the last six years. Um, about eight years ago, my wife Malia and I were pastoring a church uh, uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and we're praying about what God would do and how we could be a part of it and what place we had in God's story. And as we started to pray, we felt this, this call to step out as, as missionaries, to, to take new ground and to start new things. That's just a part of how God's built us as a family. And we started not with asking how can we create something that would, that would be neat or interesting or new. What we wanted to ask was, what is God already up to in the world? And how can we play our part in that? It's a different set of questions. Because what we do as followers of Jesus, we're entering into um, what I would call like an ancient stream. There have been people who have been following Jesus and who have been a part of the kingdom of God for thousands of years. And so none of us are inventing anything here. What we're doing is we're slipping into a stream and joining in with those voices that have come before and helping bring forward what we've received and hand it off to those who will come along with us in this journey and those who will come after us in this journey. Um, the Jesus movement itself, it's ancient, it's organic, um, which does not, I, I don't mean it's made of carbon, Although, yes, it is made of carbon, but um, the, the kingdom of God is, is organic in that it, it has been doing its thing on its own for 2,000 years. God has been reaching into the lives of people and speaking to them and drawing them out of the darkness of this world and bringing them into the kingdom of light. And he's invited us to be a part of it, but he's doing it. 
He's just at work and he's, he's constantly doing it. And so our work is to ask, how can we participate in that? The Jesus movement, it exists for the sake of the world around us, not for us. And so if you're here, there's some part of this that's for you and it's to build you up and prepare you for the work that God has called you to outside of the walls of this building. And so we don't exist so that Redemption Hill will be a success. We exist so that the world will discover the light and life of Jesus. The Jesus movement itself is committed to justice, which means that we are working to see all things set right. We won't see its completion in this world, but part of our call, when we look around the world and we see the brokenness of the world around us, we feel deep ache because our, our soul and our spirit and the Holy Spirit's voice in our mind says, this is not right. And we look and we say, we must set things right. And so we, we do and we're committed to acts of mercy, which means that we enter in alongside of the world and we suffer with them and help them find, help them find justice. It means that we are gospel people, which we're, we're going to talk a lot about what the gospel is, but it means primarily that we're truth tellers and that we, we say to the world, this is not all there is, that there is something so much more, and we invite them to say, come be a part of what God has done. And the Jesus movement is missional, which means that it is sent. It's not a gathered people, it's a sent people, and so we gather up so that we can be built up and then sent out into the world and be you and your little family are outposts, little uh, embassies of the kingdom of God in the world. You've been sent out. Um, the Jesus movement was not meant to be efficient. Any, any of you engineers feeling a little tense when I say that? The, the kingdom of God is not meant to be an efficient system. It's meant to be a family, a family, an extended family on mission together. And so what we do is we, we don't try to get results. We try to become the kind of people that belong in God's kingdom and participate in what he's doing. And last, the Jesus movement was meant to shape us into the kind of kingdom people that we're meant to be. And so as, we've been, as we started to prepare and think about planting what has become Redemption Hill, um, I, I pulled up a graphic. Here, here it is. You can actually see one of our failed names at the top there. The Reconciled was a, was a name that we abandoned somewhere along the line. I went through like 150 names before we decided what to call this thing. Um, but this is, this is a little picture that I pulled off my Google Photos that says uh, September 13th, 2016. So this was seven years ago this week. And what this picture represents is most of what we've become. And I, like there's something... God, I think, gave us this clarity about what we're going to do, and we've been working towards it the whole time. So go to the next slide. I kind of double-clicked in here so we can actually read it. You can see that it says MC. Today we'd call that microchurch. Then we're calling them missional communities, so the language has changed, but the, 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 the center of it hasn't. And the vision was to create a hub and a network of people who live as these outposts of the kingdom in houses and in neighborhoods and in youth centers and wherever people meet who are living sent on mission into those places and then together 
we would gather for equipping. We would gather for worship. We'd gather for storytelling. We'd gather for resourcing and for equipping our kids and discipling the next generation. Um, you can see on this that uh, they were going to be centered around some of them geographic and neighborhoods. Um, and we actually had four, three or four that were kind of in formation, even at the very beginning. Um, we, we talked about they were going to be multiplying, that they would send out new families on mission together into new places, that they'd have strong missional DNA, and we're probably going to talk about that in the next few weeks, but they would understand who they were and what they're called to. And I'm trying to read my own writing, um, that they would, they would be focused on outreach and that these microchurch would be porous. Porous means has really soft edges that are able to be moved through, like a membrane. And the vision was that these microchurches wouldn't be these little enclaves of, of Jesus people who were focused on one another, but it would be a space where people could enter in and connect with others. And we talked about what they would do. They would do studying the Bible. They would celebrate each other's lives. They would do evangelism, and they'd do it for outreach, and they'd connect in relationship, and they'd do discipleship, and they would do care for one another in that space. And when you think about it, seven years ago, before we'd ever, this was the very first meeting that we'd ever have, we laid this out, and this is what God has been birthing in us over the last seven years. You can go to the next slide. The other side was alongside this micro-church vision, this missional community vision, was we would have a Sunday gathering. We weren't going to abandon a, a Sunday gathering because we believed this a part of what God was doing, that we were called to gather together. And actually, the word ecclesia, church, actually means the gathering. And so, like, when we gather together, God is pleased with it because we gather around his word and are shaped by it. Um, we believe that we were called to make an accessible space for people who are starting out their spiritual journeys. And we believe that we were supposed to really focus on discipleship and connection and evangelism in this space, and that we would have worship and kids and talk about what God is calling us to talk about in his word. And then the next slide, this was we had, we had two kind of visions for what these would look like. One would be kind of geographically focused microchurch, and others would be groups of people who are creating communities focused on a shared life together in an area of their life. For some, it'd be sports or arts or um, commitment to social justice, their hobbies, um, like sharing and networking with people in their neighborhood. So there'd be kind of two types of microchurch, one that's focused on um, a part of our lives and one that's focused on where we live. And when you look at this, what I realize is that God has been weaving these things together over time. And we still, like, I think a lot of you are feeling like, uh, gosh, I really like what we're about, but I don't know what we're about. <laughs> like, there's this, like, I love what Redemption Hill does, and I'd really love to understand what Redemption Hill does. And when they get up here and they say, we're a network of microchurch, you're like, cool. I'd really like to understand what that is and be a part of that. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to work hard at kind of, breaking that down, getting more clear about who we are and what we do. You don't need to do that next slide, that's right. Um, so who is Redemption Hill? We are a network of what we call microchurch, and what microchurch is is families on mission. 
It's people who together say, I'm called and equipped by God to do what he's calling us to. And we've kind of been on this journey. Our, our first part of the journey was phase one. We, we just had to get, kind of get going. And so we had a couple of small groups that were meeting throughout the week. And we'd gather on Sundays in a gym over on the West Bench. And the first phase was we were going to launch. And then we were going to grow. And then we were going to do some work of discovering what God was up to. So it was kind of like a lot of just looking around and seeing what God was doing. And then we were going to explore and see where there was opportunity. That was kind of the first couple of years of Redemption Hill. And in the last three or four years, we've been in phase two, where we've been growing and we've been building out some simple systems. If you haven't realized, I hate systems and repetition, and that's why you probably feel a lot of tension around Redemption Hill is, I don't even like saying the same thing the same way twice. And so I really struggle to help you kind of grab hold of things. But we've been trying to build some simple systems. You've probably noticed that Jesse Peck and Alyssa Statlander actually like communicate well and put together, um, you know, simple administrative systems that care for our people. It, it, we like that, right? Like that's that's a good thing. Give it up for Jess and Alyssa. They're killing it. Um, we've been really trying to discover who we are as a people, getting that identity clear, and then we've been experimenting. And this is, I think, a part of the kingdom of God and the Jesus movement that we don't want to miss out on, is that. God has called us to shape mission to the call. Um, a guy that I know, Michael Frost, he wrote a book that was called Mission is the Shape of Water, which means that wherever you go, the mission takes the shape of the place where you are so that it meets its result. It's like you're looking around saying, what problems are there in the world? And then bringing the gospel to bear on those problems. And then the mission actually brings the kingdom of God in that space. So we're going to continue to experiment. That's a part of who we are, is that we're always going to be on the missional edge. We're going to be looking around saying, where is God at work and how can we join him in it? Um, and now we're kind of moving into phase three, which I think is uh, it's, it's going to be an uncomfortable phase because we have grown beyond the bounds of our simple systems. And we have grown beyond the bounds of um, even those of you who have been around for five or six years, you don't know everybody here because there's a bunch of people who have shown up the last two years and there's a bunch of you folks who have shown up the last two years who are still trying to get your bearings on what's happening around here. And when we have the kids up here, it's like a full room and it's hard to even tell what's going on. And so we're, we're kind of entering into a phase of asking, okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to locate ourselves permanently? How many expressions of us are there going to be? We're very committed to church planting. Uh, we've, we helped launch a network that's planted 75 churches in the valley over the last six years, which is astounding. Um, and we believe that that's a part of what God is going to do is he's going to raise up some of you in this room to go plant a new hub of kingdom outreach in a different area of the city. And we're going to try to recreate the, the beauty and the connection and the passion that we've had as a community in a new space, but with a new group of people that are called to different things. And we believe that that's a beautiful thing that God can and should do. This next phase is really about all of you understanding what you're called to, growing through the stuff that's broken inside of you, acknowledging that there's places where you need to grow and that God has a purpose for you to step into spiritual leadership in your family, in microchurch, in your workplaces, and helping you get where God wants you to go. I gotta be honest, 
I know what that looks like for you, and it's tough. <laughs> but I think that it's also how we discover God is in the midst of the formation work of pursuing him. I think that this next phase is really going to be about us being really clear about what does it mean to share the good news and actually sharing the good news with people who are far from Jesus. I've never seen a moment in the world in my lifetime in 40 years, I've never seen a time where there's more spiritual hunger and at the same time, people who are disconnected and really have their arm up towards religion and towards spiritual community, which means that there's opportunity to say, okay, we have to change the way we do things. We have to change the way we talk about things. And when we share about what we're doing in this network of micro church and this decentralized organic networks of family on mission, the world around us says that sounds a lot better than the corporate church down the road where I just go and consume spiritual goods. I think what we're doing actually helps them in their spiritual journey, and that's why we do it, is because the mission has to shape itself to the people that need it. And then in phase three, we're going to continue on with our work of experimentation. And so what do I, what do I mean when I talk about family on mission? Um, family on mission is, it kind of has three parts, and this is, we did a whole sermon series on it from January through March. So if, if you're wanting to figure out what we mean by family on mission or what we mean by microchurch, there's our podcasts have all these sermons right there for you. You can go listen to them. But family on mission has three components. The first is spiritual parents. Now, these are people who say, God has called and equipped me to make disciples, and I'm going to gather some people around me and teach them the way of Jesus. These are people, a lot of you in this room fit the category of people who could be spiritual parents, who say, I've I've been entrusted with the gospel. Just like Paul told Timothy, all the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, take that and entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Many of you fit in that category of faithful men and women who have been called and gifted and are passionate, and it's time for you to do this hard work of saying, there's something in me that has yet to come alive. There's something in me, I'm, who's, you don't, don't raise your hand because you'd be nervous about this, but I'm betting most of you feel pretty nervous about the idea of being spiritual parents, of step, yeah, Crystal always tells me the truth. She's like, yeah, that sounds horrible. That sounds really difficult. And the reason it sounds really hard is because it means that you have to grow. You have to become the kind of person that other people want to follow. You have to become the kind of person who has an inner life connected with the Father that has something to offer other people. It means that you have to think about others before you think about yourself. It means that you have to engage in hospitality in your homes in ways that maybe you don't have time or think you have energy for. But when you step into that role, it's this sacred place where God meets you and forms you and shapes you. And then the world itself is literally transformed by people saying, I want to invite you into my life and teach you about my Savior because it changes everything. I've had men and women my entire life who have come around me and said, I want to teach you the way of Jesus because it changes everything. Because you will find life, because you will find freedom, because you will find hope, because you will be released from the bondage that you have to sin and to darkness. But I gotta be honest, that doesn't happen in big groups. It happens around tables and it happens in living rooms where people share their lives together. And so a lot of you need to step into this role as spiritual parents. You're ready. Some of you have been 
preparing for 20 or 30 years to be spiritual parents, and now's the time to step into that role. I'm noticing there's some people who are really trying to catch my eyes, and some of you are really trying to avoid my eyes right now, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep looking until <laughs> till I catch them. Uh, <laughs> Derek is... is all uh, the second is we have predictable patterns where we just commit to, we're going to gather together at this time and create a life together. And for some of those, those are very ad hoc and organic. Most of my life, most of my microchurch happens at drop off and pick up at Mountain View Elementary. It's where we share our lives. That's 90% of the time that I have with the people in my life that I care about, that I want to see the gospel come to life. It's where I have gospel conversations. It's where I pray for my neighbors. That's where my microchurch happens. It's our predictable pattern is we actually show up and the principal has to kick us out of the front of the school because we're hanging out talking for too long after drop-off. That's my microchurch meets Monday through Friday from 8.40 to 9 o'clock. If you want to join us, it's at Mountain View Elementary. It'd be a little weird, but we could probably make it work. We'll call you uncle. <clears throat> the, <laughs> the third is every family on mission has a purpose beyond itself. It doesn't just exist to care for its members, but to reach out to those around them. And this is the piece that I think we need to focus in on as a community is what are the particular things and particular people and the people of peace in your life that God has brought to you that you need to be inviting into the life of Christ? And we're gonna work hard at helping you kind of discover that. Our current micro church that are happening right now are kind of centered around these missions or these families. Um, there's uh, one or two that are focused around Wonder School and the mission and family of that community. Um, mine is the West Bench missionaries that are focused on our neighbors. InterVarsity is our microchurch that's focused on reaching students at uh, Boise State University and around Southern Idaho with Matt and his team. Athletes in Action is the Pavlishes and their team that they're growing to reach athletes at Boise State. Um, the Hyatts have uh, a a geographically based microchurch in the West Bench, the Greens on the bench, the Shively's and Hayward's out in South Boise, and there are a couple more that are kind of in the beginning stages. And I probably forgot some of yours, and that's okay because that's a good thing. Like actually, th these have soft edges, and they start and they flow and they change over time, and that's okay. But what we want to see is to continue to grow microchurch, to continue to help you grow. And um, we call ourselves a network of microchurch because we imagine that Redemption Hill is like a missionary sending agency where we gather you up and we train you and we coach you and we equip you and we resource you. And everything we do centrally is to serve what's happening in your life out there. Okay? So the center, the reason we call ourselves a network of microchurch is the center is out there. It's decentralized. And Sundays is the place where we kind of reconfigure focus again and send you out again. That's the center of who we are and what we do. And we, we want to get better at that. And so we're, we're reshaping even our staff team. We have, I think there's five or six part-time staff, like I'd have to think about it for a second, but um, that work on our team. And a lot of the roles have fallen on me. And honestly, I'm not particularly gifted at them and I don't have time for them in the amount of time I have for the work here at Redemption Hill. And so um, Jesse and Andrew are going to be taking over a lot of the coaching and equipping and disciple making and in microchurch and 
Um, our elder team, Bob and Cindy and Joe, are going to be helping oversee and own some of those things. And so all of this is to say God is at work in our community, and I'm really excited for what's next. And hopefully when I talk about being a network of microchurch, it makes a little more sense now that I've talked about it for 30 minutes. Does that sound good? We'll, we'll keep talking about it. We'll keep talking about it. Uh, and I'll make Jesse talk about it so that you get it. All right. You guys ready for the sermon? <laughs> I, got, I got five minutes, ten minutes. We're just going to introduce the sermon series, and then we're going to finish at 10.05, and then we're going to do communion worship and go to baptism, okay? You got 11 minutes. Don't mess it up. Here we go. Um, if someone were to do a survey with 10 people in your life and ask them the question, what is the good news or what is the gospel? Not you, but the people you know. What would be their answers? They don't know. I, mean, I think they'd go, what, pardon my French, what the hell are you talking about? Is, was what people would say. They'd be like, what are you, who, who even uses the, those weird words and language anymore? I think that's true. I, th I think this picture is, if you grew up in church, this is what part of what the gospel means to you. Um, you've got on the left, the Evangel Cube. It's, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, it's like, it's like those little, uh, what do they call those, or uh, the things in school? Uh, a cootie catcher. It's like a cootie catcher for the gospel. Um, where you just flip it around and it has different things that it tells you, pictures, and you're supposed to tell a story with it. Um, I spent about 15 years of my life with one of those second ones in my pocket all the time, and I still have an app on my phone with it. It's the Four Spiritual Laws. Bill Bright, in 1952 or whatever year that was, he grabbed a hold of this idea that if I took the gospel, and listen, I, I own a marketing company, so I get this. If you make it simple enough that they can explain it, then they'll use it. And so you simplify the whole story of God down to four laws, and then it'll work. And i got to be honest, some of you in this room, we sat in a bowling alley. Some of you in this room, we met up at Boise State Student Union Building. Some of you, I walked through on the phone with this very booklet, and you said, that sounds like good news to me. You prayed to say, I want to be a part of that thing, and it transformed your life. So, like, we're, we're teasing, but this is not, like, this is real. These are, these are important ways. Um, this th third one is called the Romans Road. Um, I've got, uh, so, some of you are friends with my buddy Jared Kubzinski. He was a 15-year-old kid at a high school, and he, he was in love with this girl, and she was, um, she was a Christian, so he was just trying to figure out what it was because he was Catholic. And so he just looked up Saved Christian on Google, and this, this image popped up, the Romans Road, and he read it and said, that sounds good. And like on a Google search, just received Jesus. Like this is a part of his story. And then uh, the fourth picture is actually Oriental Trading. This uh, little knick-knack seller tr sells these if you want them. They're, there's little bracelets, and it's five colors. Is that five colors? Six colors. Thank you. I, my eyes are getting worse and worse. That's a small screen back there when you put pictures on it. Um, there's six beads, and each one represents a part of the story of the gospel. And these are, these are simplifications of what it means, what the gospel itself is. But when we ask, what is the gospel, it's, it's a massive question. 
We've got the first four books of the New Testament. What are they called? We call them the Gospels. And uh, if you look in some of the older translations, the beginning of each book says what? The Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Luke, John, the Gospel according to Mark. We've got these four Gospels, these four really stories. But what does the word itself, gospel, mean? Now, if you've been around any amount of time, we've probably talked some about it. But the word gospel was not an invention of these writers. It wasn't an invention of Jesus. It was a word that had some regular and and particular use in the first century. So one of those ways it was used is when there was any sort of military battle. Now, military battles didn't normally happen in cities. So what happened is a, 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 an opposing force would roll up, and you'd know that they were coming because some village ahead of you saw that they were coming and sent a rider and told the city that there's this amassing army that's showing up. And what would happen is you would gather up your army and go meet them outside of the city because if you were under siege, you had already lost. If, if somebody gets to your city and holds you inside your city, even though it's fortified, You've lost the battle itself for the control of the ground around you. And so you would send out some, like a, a massive army to meet this other army, probably in a valley or a field close by to a fortified city that was sitting elevated. And they would have a battle. And at the end of the battle, you would have one guy or a group of people who would run back to the city and let you know one of two things. One, we lost the battle get ready for a siege or get ready to get out of town because we have lost. And this, this, is, this is not a good news sort of scenario. This is a bad news scenario, but news nonetheless. The other scenario was you had this euangelion, this evangelist, this good news bringer, a herald who would run to the city and proclaim, we've won. The battle is won. The battle is over. The king has been victorious. Therefore, we are saved from the coming onslaught of this foreign army. Now, um, even, even in the first century, when you look at how it was used, Augustus Caesar, um, there was an inscription announcing um, the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, this was the consolidation of the Roman Empire Apparently, a lot of us think about it a lot of times. You guys read that news that this week that most men think about the Roman Empire every day, apparently. <laughs> I do. I, I didn't know that that was a thing, but apparently we all do. Um, but Caesar Augustus, when, when he would announce his, his benevolent overlordship, basically when he took over different areas of the empire and consolidated underneath him, what he would do is he would march an army up to a city and then send one of these euangelion, these, these good news bringers, and they would go up to the city and proclaim to them, good news, the Roman Empire has come, and we're going to save you from your barbarism. We're going to save you from your parochial values. We're going to save you from this sad, poor existence, not being a part of this great empire. Congratulations, you've just become a colony. Isn't that good news? He would literally send them, and uh, th this is an inscription from the first century. It says, the birthday of the God, and then it has Augustus in quotes or in uh, parentheses, like in this inscription, 
was the beginning of the good news that came to the world through him. Okay? So this, the idea of good news was this proclamation of power, this proclamation of kingdom, this proclamation of the coming age of abundance that would come from the empire taking over. And so when we see Jesus coming, and we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Got that up there. There we go. Mark chapter 1. This is the, one of the very first things Jesus does after he's baptized. He goes out to the desert. He comes back. John was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's gospel, the good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So this wasn't something that the, the apostles would invent later. This wasn't something that even he would use later in his ministry. This is the very first preaching of Jesus. The time has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe this good news. And I want you to think back through the four spiritual laws. And I want you to think back through the Evangel Cube. <laughs> I want you to think back through the bracelet. Is this the gospel that we have been preaching for 100 years? Is this the gospel of evangelicalism, this movement that has been at the center of the Western church for 100 years? I didn't hear this until I was 35 years old, man. This was news to me that the gospel itself wasn't what I expected it to be. The gospel is different than what we thought. And guess what? It's 10.05. I told you I'd finish on time. So we're going to talk some more about this. Come back. I got good news for you. We're done. Uh, so come back next week for, for part two. Of, uh, of this sermon series where I will use the rest of these papers that I've prepared um, and we will continue on. And now, I, I do want the band to come up and we are going to finish, so don't, don't take this as a, as a PS, as a, as a short PS. Why, why do we care about what gospel is and what good news is and, and why, why have we called ourselves evangelicals? I think our community would probably fit into a description of post-evangelical a little better, but why, why is that a part of our language? The reason is, if we want to get following Jesus right, we have to understand what he said and what he wanted from us, and that the good news of kingdom and repentance is the beginning of understanding God. And if we don't get this one thing right, what you'll find is that you don't get anything else right until you get what the gospel is. The second is this, the good news of Jesus' coming, his kingdom coming in his death and resurrection, is that all things will be set right in his reign and rule, starting in this age and fulfilled in the age to come. And that good news can transform your life. When you submit to the way of Jesus, you will find life that you never expected. And this good news 
I don't know if you've been looking for hope lately, but this is the only place the world is going to find hope. Hope for life. And so we're going to take communion here in a moment. And I want you to realize that the, the communion that we take is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise when he says the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right now. What he's saying is that in his death and resurrection, the kingdom of God broke into this world and started to take ground over people's lives. And it is working its way through every single person who participates at this table. The kingdom of God takes new ground. And so if you will, if you're ready, if you have given yourselves over to Jesus, come forward and receive communion. This is Christ's body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. Each time you come forward, do so remembering that the kingdom of God is at hand. We must repent and believe. Let's pray together as we end. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we want to be good news kind of people. We want to be people who understand what Jesus was talking about, who live the way of the cross, who have experienced the kingdom of God breaking into our lives, and the kind of people who are ready to walk with you into the newness of light that you promised. Holy Father, bring hope as we pursue you, bring healing as we pursue you, bring freedom from the chains and bondage of sin as we pursue you, and may this act at the table be a reminder. May it be a filling up of your presence and spirit week in and week out when we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.